Well, the Bible passage under consideration this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. But I'd like to back up and put these words in context, and so begin reading this morning from chapter 1, verse 3. How many of you this morning are using real Bibles, paper Bibles like this? Can I see them? Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you. How many of you are using fake Bibles uh, on your phone or your tablet? Okay, good enough. As long as, you have, <laughs> as long as you have the text in front of you, I don't care what format you got. It's important to us just to, to, to have you have access to the Bible so that you can say, I'm not sure that's what the Bible says. The preacher says this, the Bible says that. Go with the Bible at all times, okay? No matter who you're talking to, no matter who you're listening to, always go with the Bible. Okay, so let's dive in. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, where Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, through, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." And then we have these three verses that we're going to study this morning that underscore the worth of this great salvation that is the outcome of our faith, beginning at verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, meaning the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. And so the, the, the main point the, the main point of this paragraph, the main point of the three verses that we're looking at this morning is that, is that we should be utterly amazed at the great salvation that God has given to us. And the significance of this salvation is shown by the fact that prophets of God and angels of heaven long to look into this salvation that we have. And so before we go too deep into the passage itself, uh, we should probably ask ourselves, what do we need to be saved from? And that's a legitimate question. 
especially in our day and age of affluence, right? I mean, people have good jobs, they have nice families, they have a nice car, they, they have a nice home, they have a good reputation, they have, everything's good, I'm good. What do I need Jesus for? What do I need God for? I'm good, you know? Do your thing, but I'm good. What do we need to be saved from? Good question. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, the same apostle who writes the passage we just read, says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. And so Christ bore our sins because we need to be forgiven and we need to be saved from our sins. That's a presupposition that all of Scripture owns. These sins of ours, the, the sinful nature, is like a terminal disease that will kill us forever. I guess when you're dead, you're, I mean, you're dead forever, right? But sins will separate us from God forever. And only the wounds of the Savior on the cross can heal this disease called sin. So that's why we need to be saved from our sins. 1 Peter 3.18 The Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Christ died for our sins because we need to be saved from our sins. They separate us from the holy God that we serve. And so Christ died for our sins in order to bring us home to God so that we've got a place to go when the end comes. 1 Peter 4.17, he says, For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, brothers and sisters... What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? <laughs> so we need to be saved from God's judgment. What do we need to be saved from? From God's judgment. Sin is, is not just a terminal disease that needs healing. It's also terminal guilt that deserves judgment. The judgment of God. And the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus came to bear the judgment himself for all those who will trust in him. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In other words, we need to be saved from the devil because he is a liar and he's a murderer. He's trying to destroy human beings, men and women and children. He's been at that for centuries because he doesn't want to be all by himself in hell. He wants to populate hell with as many friends as he can get. He's a lion, which means that he is much stronger than you and me. So we need salvation from him, from the devil. The Bible says that the Son of God came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. That was one of the purposes, one of the reasons that Jesus came was so that he could put an end to the power of the enemy. And so, Peter's answer to the question, what do we need to be saved from, might be this. We need to be saved from the disease of sin. We need to be saved from the guilt of sin. We need to be saved from the judgment of God. And we need to be saved from the destruction that the devil himself can bring into our lives if we're not careful. Does that make sense to you? So that, that begins to answer the question, 
Does, it's not exhaustive, but it begins to answer the question, what do we need to be saved from? The next question we might ask in preparation for this teaching about the great salvation from 1, Timothy, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Second question might be, what do we need to be saved for? We know what we need to be saved from, but what do we need to be saved for? We're saved from something. We're saved from something for something. What is that something that we're saved for? 1 Peter 2, 25. Peter says, writing to Christians, you were, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I love that image, don't you? So salvation means being brought home to a loving shepherd and a wonderful counselor and an everlasting father and the prince of peace who can really care for us when we need it the most. He's the one who will lead us into green pastures beside still waters and feed us there. That's what we're saved for. We're saved for this wonderful relationship with God, the great shepherd of the sheep. And in 1 Peter 5, 4, Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word unfading appeared earlier in the passage. We read it again this morning in verse 4. He talks about this, this inheritance that we have as being imperishable, undefiled, and what? Unfading. So here now is this unfading inheritance of verse 4 being brought forward. We need, we're saved for an inheritance of glory. No more shame, but honor. We're saved for this crown of glory. Not for humiliation and disgrace, but we're saved for this crown of glory. And that's what we get. That's our inheritance, this crown of glory from God. 1 Peter 5.10 says that God called us to this. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see? The God of all grace has called you to His eternal glory in Christ. I mean, we're saved so that we can share in the glory of God. That blows my mind. We're saved so that we can share in the glory of God. I don't understand it fully, but I'm sure, I'm sure grateful for it. Whatever, whatever it is, I know it's good. And the result of this all, of course, will be everlasting joy. Like Peter says in chapter 4, verse 13. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. That's what we're saved for. So if we're going to put that all together and sum it up, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for a personal relationship with God. Do you have that? Do you have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? We're also saved for participation in the eternal glory of God. 
And we're saved for this joy and exaltation that is as eternal as the glory of God itself. Hmm. I'll let you think about that for a little bit. But this is a wonderful truth from the, from the Scriptures this morning. And the Word of God this morning. The Word of God. Not the Word of the newspaper editors. Not the Word of Facebook. Not the Word of Instagram. Not the Word of Kent Shaw and the CTV News. But the, the Word of God this morning is this. We need to be saved. Saved from sin, and saved from Satan, and saved from judgment, and saved for an inexpressible joy in the glory of God that's brought into our lives by the great shepherd of the sheep who loves us and gave his son up for us so that we could have life. You see, and so in verse 10 now, That was a long introduction. So in verse 10, when Peter says, concerning this salvation, we now have some idea what he's talking about, right? We now know when he says, okay, concerning this salvation. Well, what salvation are you talking about? The salvation that I've been talking about in the entire letter. What we're saved from and what we're saved for. Concerning this, we now have some idea what he's talking about. And his aim in verses 10 through 12 is to intensify our gratitude for the amazing gift of salvation that God has given us. And he does this, he does this by giving us five amazing facts about this great salvation that that fills us with hope and expectation and maybe even a little praise. I say that tongue-in-cheek. First of all, Jesus predicted this salvation. That's the kind of the first amazing fact about our salvation that fills us with hope because Christ himself, it says in verse 11, the spirit of Christ, hundreds of years before his own death and resurrection, was actually predicting his own death and resurrection. Hundreds of years before he ever came, the spirit of Christ was predicting the sufferings of Christ This means that Jesus was predicting the sufferings and the the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. Which means that Jesus, the Son of God, has been contemplating the suffering, His own suffering and His own death for us for centuries. For centuries this has been under consideration. Indeed, as far back as the plan of salvation goes in the mind and heart of God, Jesus has been willing and ready to give himself to die for us. Doesn't that do something for you? I love the way one author said it. You were not loved for just a bloody moment of sacrifice in history. You've been loved for endless ages in the eternal plan of the Father and the Son to save sinners who trust in Him. You weren't loved for just one single bloody moment in history when Jesus died on the cross. You have been loved for endless ages by the Father. Thank you, Lord. 
That's a mind-blowing fact from 1 Peter. Jesus predicted this salvation of ours long before he ever came to earth, and that fills me with hope too. God knows what he's doing. Secondly, the prophets yearned to be part of this salvation. Peter highlights the worth of our salvation in this passage by telling us how the prophets really desired to know more about it. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who testified about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So the prophets spoke about our salvation and they they wrote about our salvation. Their prophetic utterances were recorded for generations uh, ahead to read and understand. Peter says they searched intently with the greatest care. They were, they were trying their best to find out the, the time and circumstances of Messiah. Uh, they were hungry to know the truth, partly because they did not fully understand even their own prophetic utterances. I mean, the Spirit of God was giving them unction to write things and say things that they didn't fully understand themselves. It wouldn't be until hundreds of years later that a full understanding of the prophetic utterance would come to pass. But they were terribly interested nonetheless. They were terribly interested to know all that they could know about the the times and the facts, the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how of this salvation that they were writing about and talking about. So they searched with meticulous care and great caution. They didn't want to miss anything. They didn't want to miss anything that had to do with the salvation of God's people. They were hungry to find the truth. Would you describe yourself as someone who's hungry for the truth? I mean, are you you hungry enough to, to search carefully and intently into the Word of God? I think there are far too many indifferent Christians in the church today. I think the church is plagued with the spirit of casualness. We've we've become casual about salvation. We've become casual about the, the things of God. The curse of casualness. Folks, God fills the hungry. Those who are eager, those who search carefully with meticulous care and caution, God reveals His Word and His blessings to those people who really hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not for the casual passerby. In addition to this, The angels long to look into this salvation too. The next thing Peter says to highlight the value of this great salvation is that angels love to look into it. Right at the end of verse 12, Peter says these things which were announced by the preaching of the gospel are the very things into which angels long to look. Now this doesn't mean that they want to look into it but can't. It rather means that they they want to because in a sense they are outsiders to this unfolding drama of salvation. These angels that are still in heaven have never sinned against God, you see. And so 
the, 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 the whole experience of, of conviction of sin and repentance and confession and coming to faith and being born again is outside of their, their realm of experience. They don't understand that. And so they're longing to look into these things. God's made such a big deal about this salvation. In fact, he sent his only son from heaven, so the angels all know that. Jesus was sent from heaven to, to, to be born of a virgin and to live out his life as a carpenter's son and then to die on the cross. And they're just longing to understand all the nuances of this great salvation. They're longing to look into it. They love to watch the great work that God is doing for salvation for his people. They long to see it. I think Peter's point is this. If angels get that excited about our salvation, shouldn't we? Uh, shouldn't we? I mean, if angels are that, can get that excited about our salvation, we ought to be excited about our salvation too. Uh, if angels long to look at the work of God in saving sinners like us, how much more should we? I think that's his point. When we look at what God has done, we could, we should be able to say, just like Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us, 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 to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah! You say, I don't know if he'd have jumped up and said hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think he might have. I think he might have. And last, but certainly not least, Peter highlights the value of our salvation by, by telling us that it's the Holy Spirit who reveals the reality of this salvation to us. And look at verse 12. The Holy Spirit himself, sent from heaven, has brought us the news of our salvation through the folly of preaching the gospel. In verse 12, he makes it clear that when, whenever God's truth is revealed to human beings and they, they get it, it's because the Holy Spirit is involved. It's because the Holy Spirit himself reveals truth to us. It, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. And that brings me great comfort because it's not the work of the Old Testament prophet to reveal the truth to the human heart. It's not the, it's not the job of the, of the New Testament preacher to reveal God's truth to the human heart. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the elder's job. It's not the deacon's job. It's the work of the Holy Spirit himself. And so when we get it, when we when we receive the revelation of God's word, we understand it, the only person we need to thank is God himself. And, and, and that's what Peter is getting at concerning this salvation. We ought to be incredibly, utterly amazed and thankful that God has included us. God's truth is opened up to human beings by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that doesn't just happen in Pentecostal churches, by the way. 
I think the Spirit of God is alive and well and moving in the midst of all kinds of churches, don't you? Amen. Amen. So Dr. Packer, J.I. Packer, says this about the word reveal. I found it interesting. Reveal is a word picture in the Bible. And the picture is of God unveiling. God showing us things which were previously hidden from us. God bringing into the open things which were before out of our sight. God causing and enabling us to see what hitherto we could not see. And so when he reveals truth by the power of the Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds, God is actually taking us into his confidence. It's like saying, he's saying, hey, come on, hands over here. I want to tell you a secret. He's revealing things to us that hitherto had been unknown to us. That's what revelation is. He reveals, he opens it up to us. Isn't that exciting? It's like he says, hey, okay, come on, gathering. I've got some things I want to show you. I want to reveal to you my heart, my secrets, my, 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 my desire, my purpose, my will for you. It's exciting. But how does that happen? How does that happen? Does God just zap us out of thin air and we've got it? Kind of a stunning revelation. Does he send us an email once a week? Read this. Very important. Do not delete. Maybe he guides us to the website, heavenlytruth.com. How does it happen? How does he uncover his secrets? How does he reveal his heart? Well, have a look at this verse. From 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, that pretty much covers all of life. The scripture, which is breathed out by God or inspired by God, is profitable to reveal God's will and teach us how to live. That's why theologians talk about the sufficiency of Holy Scripture. It's, it's enough. It's, it, the, the Scripture, read by a human being, can be understood through the power of the Holy Spirit and applied to our lives and change us from the inside out. So if we want to know God's truth, which is revealed by the Holy Spirit to hearts that are hungry for truth, then we must go, first of all, to the Scriptures. That's the place where we start. We have to go to the Scriptures, and we must study the Word of God for ourselves. Are you with me? So, so you see, we should be people of the book. Have you heard that before? We should be people of the book. We should be people of the book. That's what we should be. The gathering people should be people of the book. That's why I had you hold up your real, real Bibles and your fake Bibles today. I wanted to say, how many of you have the scriptures with you this morning in whatever format you have? We need to be people of the book, even if it's on a tablet. We need to be people of the book. I mean, we've got all kinds of sources of good information and help. We've got Bob Duco, and we've got Susie Orman, and we've got CNN, and we've got uh, Dear Abby. 
I mean, we've got all kinds of people who are ready and willing to help us, but folks, we need to be people of the book because only that book is inspired by God and breathed out and profitable for all aspects of our lives. We need to be people of the book. I mean, a, a doctor has her little black bag and an accountant has his, his calculator and, and Donald Trump has an apprentice, but we should be people of the book. We've got the book, you see? We've got the book, and herein lie all of the answers that people need today. Do you believe that? I do. I mean, I, I'm, I, I stake my life on it. We can answer the problems and issues and concerns that people have about life right from here. We need to be people of the book. Because all Scripture is profitable and leads to life. Would you pray with me, please? I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we pray. Father, it, it all seems fairly clear to us now that the main point of this passage in 1 Peter is that we should be utterly amazed incredibly grateful for the gift of salvation that you have poured out upon us. And we are. Lord, we are grateful. We're, we stand amazed at the extent to which you went to prove to us that you love us. You sent your son, Jesus, who died on a cross, was buried in a grave, came out of the grave alive on the third day, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us right this very minute. He's praying for us. And we thank you for that. Oh, this great salvation. We can't even begin to describe it fully to people that we meet and talk to. Every hour of the day on Sunday is not, still not enough hours for us to thank you for this gift of salvation. The prophets yearned to know more about it. The angels longed to look into it. Jesus himself predicted this salvation centuries before he ever came. Oh God, we're grateful. And I think many of us here this morning know people who still live outside this gift of salvation. They've not yet received it. There may even be some here this morning who are listening to my voice who have not yet come to faith in Jesus, but they're on the way. And we're so glad you brought them here this morning, Father. This is a place where they can hear about the book and learn the book and study the book and start to live the book with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we're just asking you, quite simply, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us to live out the truth that we study each week. And we're glad that we serve a great God, a God who is stronger than all of our sins, a God who is stronger than our own wayward willpower. And he overcomes us with his love the strong God who, who forgives our sins and makes us His own. Thank you. We're grateful. 
and we sing of your strong love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.